Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. If you got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn over to Genesis chapter 45. And um, we've been going through this study life now for several, several weeks and uh, gained several different life points. Last week was no exception. I think it's so important for us to remember what we talked about. The life point was this, if God can use the pain and suffering of Jesus to bring life to you, then he can use your pain and suffering too. And even more specifically, I was talking to someone after service, to bring life to others, because that's what God's desire is with our life, is that we would be used as vessels of honor, that we'd be used as instruments of righteousness, that we would be not hiding this treasure that we have in earthen vessels, but that we would be shining it just as the Lord's shown it in our, heart, in our hearts. And so, um, again, sometimes we go through things in this life and we don't understand. Man, I don't know why I'm going through this struggle. I don't know why I'm going through this pain. I don't understand why I have to deal with this in my life. Uh, but as we saw with Joseph's life, it was a lot of pain and suffering. Matter of fact, 24 years he's been separated from his family. But we see in the study, very clearly, Joseph sees that God used even the betrayal of his brothers, even the imprisonment that he had, all these things to bring him to a place that he could bring life uh, to the the, the family that God had blessed, the seed of Abraham. Uh, And again, through Jacob, which we have seen so far, we saw that Joseph was a type of Christ. Um, If you've been here, you've already understood what that means. If you haven't been here, that simply means that we look at Jesus Christ, the New Testament, of course, the Messiah, and we can see figures in the Old Testament that are similar to him or that point to him or that have attributes of him, characteristics of the Christ. And in Joseph, we see that. We've seen that in several different instances. Um, Again, if you think about the fact that Joseph went through the suffering, to bring life to his family, that's exactly what Jesus did. Joseph went through suffering, I mean, Jesus went through suffering to bring life to us. Again, that was God's intention. That's always been God's intention. We were reminded that just because we don't see the reason or we don't understand our pain, we don't get why I'm going through what I'm going through, the purpose of our trials, the purpose of our struggles, Maybe it's a spiritual famine you're going through. You say, man, I feel dry. I feel empty. I don't feel close to God. I don't feel close to his people. That's where I'm at right now. Sometimes we say, I don't understand that. Why am I dealing with this? Why am I going through that? Show up at church, try to read my Bible, pray. I'm still going through this. Again, just because we don't see the purpose or we don't see the reason behind these things doesn't mean that God doesn't have a purpose in them. Our job is to remain faithful, is to continue to press into him. Where the tragedy comes in is when we go through these trials, we go through these struggles, we go through these famines, we turn away. So then we we are no longer, not just prolonging the process, but we're also missing the things that God wants to do in our life and bless us along the way. Remember Joseph, while he was away from his family, while he was in prison, God still promoted him to be over the prison. While he was in Egypt and he was a foreigner in this land, God still lifted him to a place. The realities of his condition were... He was not in his home. He was not with his family. He was not where things were normal and comfortable. But God was still blessing him even in his trials. That's because he remained faithful to the Lord. Again, if you're here this morning going through a struggle, remember, don't turn. Don't go away. Don't, don't, don't neglect gathering with the people of God. Don't, don't turn from being faithful to God because God wants to do something 
even in the midst of your struggle. And it may be for somebody else. You say, how can God do that? I'm sure Joseph thought the same exact thing. But God wants us with him, regardless of our circumstances, just as Joseph wanted his family with him. The other thing that we talked about was we get so focused on what God can do for us. That's how we end up living our day-to-day life, right? We start thinking, God, I need you to do this in my personal life. I need you to do this in my marriage. I need you to do this in my job. I need you to do this with my family. We get so focused on what God can do for us that we begin living and pursuing the blessings. And we can leave off and forget the greatest reward is actually being in a relationship with the God of all creation. We're going to look at that a little bit further this morning and uh, see how maybe we can apply that in our lives. So let's pray, and we'll get into that. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for allowing us to be here. God, our hearts are already full. Lord, just the opportunity to sing to you and to celebrate what you've done, the fact that you are our salvation. God, that we have blessed assurance in you. Lord, just so, so much to be thankful for, the fact that you are the lamb, that you were slain before the foundation of the world for our sins. You took on our 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 sins upon yourself and and became the payment for those sins and god we could never sing about it enough we could never rejoice in that enough never praise you enough never thank you enough but this morning uh, we we've been blessed in just the opportunity to do that so far and now as we turn to your word we ask that your spirit continue to move lord we need you in this place god we don't want to meet here in vain we don't want to go through some repetition we don't want to go through some motions we don't want to go through a routine Lord, we have this opportunity in our lives, this, this, these next few minutes we have, uh, to be centered on you, to be focused on you, to set aside everything else in our life, in our world, our troubles, our, 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 the things that we're thinking about. Lord, I pray that everything would be cleared out and we'd be able to focus on you. Lord, that you would have free reign in our lives, that you could speak to our lives and we could respond rightly, without distraction, without anything else, Lord. So we ask you to do that now. Again, we pray that if there's somebody here that doesn't have this relationship with you, Or maybe they've prayed a prayer, maybe they've tried to be religious, maybe they've gone to church, maybe they've said they're a Christian, but they know in their heart, and you know, that they haven't surrendered their life to you. Lord, I pray that person or those people wouldn't leave this place in that same condition, but they would today surrender their life once and for all, experience the new birth, receive that gift of eternal life that only you can give through faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would just do an amazing work through that, Lord, this morning. Use me as a vessel, God, because you deserve the praise alone. We ask you to do all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. John chapter 10 is actually where I'm going to read. You can keep your Bibles there in in, um, uh, Genesis. But I want to read this because it's it's very important to the message this morning. John 10 verse 7, Then Jesus saith unto them, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you that I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. So there was people who claimed to be Christ. There were people who were anti-Christ. There were people that were trying to gain following all before Jesus came on the scene. And he said, but the sheep did not hear them. Verse 9, I am the door, he said very clearly. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. No question, no doubts, no, no second thoughts that if you enter in through Jesus Christ, if you give him your life, surrender to him, faith in him alone, the finished work on the cross, the finished work in the empty tomb. If you do that, the Bible's promise, his promise to you is, you will be saved. You will go in and out and find pasture. There'll be plenty, there will be substance, there will be provision, there will be protection, all those things that sheep find in the pasture of their shepherd. Number 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal and kill and destroy. Let's remember that. Jesus said, I am the door. 
you come in through me and you will be saved and safe and you will find pasture. But there's an enemy. There's, a, there, there's somebody that's on the other side of me and his job, his will, his desire for all mankind, Jesus' desire is for all to go through the door, him, and be saved. The enemy's desire is to steal, to kill, and destroy. He makes it very clear. I am come that they might have life. And he explains it even further and that they might have, might have it more abundantly. And he says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hiring, hireling fleeth because he's a hireling and careth not for the sheep. But Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. So there's a relationship that exists with God because of Jesus. There's something that's different from those who actually have a relationship with Christ and those who say they have a relationship with Christ. And Jesus said, I, I'm their shepherd and they know me and I, am, and, 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 and I know them. Verse 15, as the Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Jesus is talking about specifically the nation of Israel, and then also the Gentile nations. And so he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. That's what God's desire is, that there would be none that perish, but all come to repentance. Jew and Gentile alike. He said that there's one fold, there's going to be one shepherd. Therefore, doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. This commandment have I received from my father. Again, God's clear heart, just even, it's all through the New Testament, it's all through the teachings of Jesus, but God's clear heart is to have a relationship with every single one of us. It, that's his desire. His desire is not for us to have a badge or not to claim a name or not to do any. God's desire is to have a real, active, engaging relationship with each individual. Those individuals comprise a people, just like he said. What do he say? There should be one fold and one shepherd. It's always in that context. Jesus didn't just come along and pick Peter. He didn't just come along and pick Andrew. He picked 12 of them to build his church so the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And so, again, it's always in the context of the fold. It's always in the context of the plurality of the sheep. But you have no plurality without the individual relationships. You're not a part of the fold. You're not a part of the, you're not a part of the kingdom of God. You're not a part of the family of God. You're not a part of the church if you don't have the individual relationship with God. In other words, you're not just a part of the fold just because you're a part of a, a local church. You're part of the fold because you have a relationship with the shepherd. But that's what God wants. He wants this individual relationship and that individual relationship to thrive and survive in the context of the fold. It's always been that way. Jesus is always determined that way. You never see anybody alone that thrives. Elijah was scared. He ran, right? He ran from, from, from this wicked woman. He's out there by himself. God has to correct him. What are you doing? You know, 
That's not what you're supposed to be doing. You're not supposed to be out here alone thinking that you can do it by yourself. Again, we have to have the Lord. We have this relationship with him. He is the good shepherd. We have safety, salvation. We have all those things. But again, it's always in the context of his pasture and his fold. Always. From that relationship, man entrusts God with everything. So when we say, I have a relationship with God, that means that we, we have given him everything. That we have entrusted him with everything. God, in his grace and his goodness, and his love, then, gives to man. Which is a phenomenal thing, right? Because if you're saved, you've got a relationship with God. This morning, I was even praying that prayer. It's enough. That, that's enough. I mean, to know you, to be known of God in a personal way, is enough. That, that's enough. But on top of that, God turns around and gives to us his goodness, his grace, his love, and entrusts us with so much more. See, when we understand the way that God works as best as humanly possible, we realize that God can use and does use any means that he sees fit to accomplish his purpose. And so in our context that we see here in our study, that God will use even pagan kings to accomplish that purpose. There have been times that the people of God haven't stood up and done what God called them to do, and God said, fine, if you won't do it, I'll have somebody else do it. There have been times that the people of God haven't responded, and God said, fine, if you, won't, if you won't respond in blessing, I'll take you to bondage so that you rely on me, and I will deliver you out of that so that you will turn back to me. Even in the, in the Babylonian captivity, the prophet Jeremiah, you can read this in uh, Jeremiah, I think, 29, he says um, that if you... You, you seek me, you will find me. If you search with me with your whole heart. That's what God desired. He wanted them in that captivity to learn that he's the deliverance. In our study, we're not necessarily going to get there, but we, will, we would eventually take to that point to where Israel is held captive. We're going to see the, the, the prophecy of that uh, this morning. But Israel is held captive so that God would deliver them. It's, it's a macro uh, example of the micro example we see now with Joseph. Joseph was taken into slavery and to bondage so that he could be the deliverer of Jacob, of Israel, uh, from the famine, from, from the struggle. And so again, that's God's desire, relationship. He's, our, the one, he's the one that we rely on. He's the one that we turn to. He's the one that we entrust with everything. But let's not, re let's not forget that God will use anything and anyone to accomplish his purpose. I don't know about you, if I have a relationship with God, which I do, I don't want him using a pagan resource when I could be used. I don't want God using, just like we talked about even with what's going on in our church. Some people say, well, why do we have to do this? Because they can, people can go somewhere else. I, I want God to use us if, if, if it's a matter of us making ourselves available. I want to be used, not for my glory, but for his use and his glory. If he's going to say, I'll use somebody else if you're not going to do it, I don't want that to be. I'm, I'm already unworthily his child. And if he wants to use me in his grace and use us in his grace, then I want that to happen. I don't want him to skip over and say, fine, if you won't do it, I'll use somebody else. I want God to use us. God will use 
us if we make ourselves available. But he will use anyone and anything to accomplish his will. Genesis 45, if you have your Bibles there, we pick up in verse 9 in our study. So Joseph is talking to his brothers. He says, haste you, so go, hurry up. Go up to my father and say to him, thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not. And thou shalt and thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen, and thou shalt be near unto me, thou and thy children, thy children's children, and thy flocks, thy herds, all that thou hast. And there will I nourish thee. Doesn't that sound a little bit sim- similar to uh, they, 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 they shall enter in and find pasture, and I will be their shepherd, and they will be my... Again, that's again a, a, another type. Joseph being the spokesperson, the type of Jesus, Joseph is saying, come to me, and I will give you rest. Come to me, and I will provide for you in my pasture that's under my watch. And so again, he says, I'll nurse thee, for there are yet five years left of famine. So there's five more years of famine, lest thou and thy household and all that thou hast come to poverty, or come to ruin. And behold, your eyes see in the eyes of my brother Benjamin that it is my mouth that speaketh to you. Listen to me. It's me. It's not somebody else. It's not something else going on. It's me that's talking to you. You're going to tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and all that you have seen. And and you shall haste and bring down my father. Don't hang around. Don't piddle around. Don't wait. This is important. Get back here. And he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brethren and he wept on them. And after that, his brethren talked with him. You've been here, you know the story, but just a summary, I know we've got some guests and some people have missed and stuff, and so uh, this is what's happened. Joseph has revealed himself to his brothers who he had been concealing his identity from. These are the same brothers that betrayed him, sold him into slavery. Now it's 24 years later, and Joseph finally is revealing himself to his brothers who reluctantly brought back Benjamin because Benjamin was the only other brother of Jacob and Rachel. And so now he's seeing all of his brothers. What he wants, though, is to his whole family, his, his father and everything, to come to this land so that he can provide them everything they need and bless them during this famine. And so now we find this charge. Now it's time for you to go back home, get father, get everything that we have, and bring it back. Again, I, I look at this and think, what a beautiful picture of reconciliation this is. I mean, think about this. We don't see any resentment in Joseph here. We've already talked about that when we talked about reconciliation. If anybody could, be resen- could have resentment in their heart, Joseph could be the one. Hey, he was the family member that was like cast out, sold, betrayed, hated, all these kind of things. And somebody said, well, they, that's what he deserved. But think about everything that he went through. He would have been the one that could have been resentful, but he wasn't resentful. Another thing that we do in our relationships, right, whenever we're hurt, what do we do? Put up walls. It's not going to happen again. Right? Think, think about how the Bible talks about how, how hated Joseph was. We already went through all that. They hated him. The Bible says, and when they saw this, they hated him the more. They wanted him dead. And if it wasn't for a little bit of reasoning, he would have been killed. They said, look, we're just throwing him in a pit and leaving. They said, no, let's not throw him in a pit and leave him. Look, there's some people we can make some money off of him. Let's sell him. I mean, who treats their family like that? Right? But that's what happened to Joseph. He could have been resentful. He could have put up walls and said, look, you guys are coming back to me. I don't trust you anymore. You got a long time to build back that trust. But we don't see that with him. No walls. We don't see any guards and no grudge, which is a resentment and grudge is a difficult thing, right? 
it's a difficult thing for us not to have. Because the human nature is to do exactly what I just said. To put up walls, to put up guards, to not trust, to hold resentment, to hold grudges, and to say, you know what, I'll just move on and I won't deal with this. This is how I'm going to deal with it. Begin. we don't see that with Joseph. We don't see that's how he's acting with the brothers who did this. What we see with Joseph, again, is a similar thing that we saw in Jesus, or that we see in the New Testament Christ. Sincerity, love, true forgiveness, and grace. I don't know about you, but it's a humbling, a humbling example. Me and my brothers, we used to do things when we were kids. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to say who, but there, at one time there were lead pipes swinging and guns wielding and knives wielding. And <laughs> there were all kinds of things that and to this day, I don't have any resentment or grudge or anything like that. But they never sold me into slavery either. We never, we never sold any, any of the other ones into slavery either. So uh, it's hard to reason with that. But you think about this. Th think about these brothers, and maybe you have siblings too, that, that we, we've, we, when we were kids, we got in fights too, or maybe as an adult, so you, you've, you've been in fights and there's, there's bad relationships or, or something going on there. Joseph had the worst, I think, the worst family experience that somebody could have. You know, I mean, as far as, what have I done to you guys? You're Joseph. That's what you've done. Now die. You know, that's how they felt. I mean, that's sure that's how he felt, you know. But what he gives to them, again, as a type of Christ, he gives them love, he gives them sincerity, and he gives them true forgiveness and grace. What a great example for us, even in that. Again, we've already talked about it, but I think it's just so important to, to, to highlight that. But that's what God desires in our relationship with him. That's what God desires of our relationship with others. And so we look on in this, and <clears throat> in our study in verse 16, pick it back up, and the fame thereof was uh, heard in Pharaoh's house. In other words, uh, this got around to Pharaoh, what was happening. And saying that Joseph's brethren are come, and it pleased Pharaoh well. And his servants, Pharaoh's like, hey, great. Pharaoh didn't want to lose Joseph. Joseph was the blessing of God on Pharaoh's kingdom. That's why he gave Joseph everything in his kingdom to rule. And so Pharaoh was like, this is great. This is wonderful. Look what happens. Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to the brethren, this do you, laden your beast and go and get, get to the land of Canaan and then take your father and your households and come unto me. What? Nobody else got this invitation but Joseph's family. Pharaoh is saying, Go get your family, go get all your substance, and you come to Egypt. Well, they knew what that meant, but he explains. Come unto me, and I will give you the good. Now, that word good is a little bit more than what we think is good. He told them, go back, get everything you have, come back, and I will give you the very best of Egypt. I will give you the best that Egypt has to offer in the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. See, you're, you're going to have abundance, and thou art, uh, now thou art commanded, this do, do ye, and take your wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. But he says this, but don't regard your stuff. In other words, don't be concerned too, too much about your stuff. This is maybe the arrogant pagan king in him. Don't worry about if your stuff gets left behind. Don't worry about your stuff getting destroyed, because the good... <laughs> The best of all of Egypt is going to be yours. That's kind of like saying, you know, uh, we, what we got is better than what you got. And so, but he was saying, look, don't, don't, don't stress, don't fret about 
uh, leaving anything behind because you're going to have the very best of what the land has to offer. And the children of Israel did so. Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provision for the way. He gave them everything they would need to go back and to come, come back to them. So all of them, uh, to all of them, he gave each man changes of raiment. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of raiment. Which is an interesting thing, right? Because now, do, do, is Joseph digging on his other brothers? <laughs> right? He was, he, that's, that's where we can go as humans. He was thinking, in our minds, we're thinking, maybe Joseph was thinking, I'm not going to pay them back. I'm just going to be nicer to Benjamin. <laughs> no, that is not, that's reading into it. We're, that's not necessarily what Joseph is doing. We know that the promise was through Jacob. We know that Rachel is the mother. Uh, we know, that, again, that we see this, this line coming through them. Again, God, it's, it's, it's an example of how God blesses. It's an example of God's choice. It's an it's example of so many different things that we're not going to necessarily get into right now. Uh, but I don't believe that according to this text and according to what it's saying, uh, that that's what Joseph's mo motive was in this. Um, again, it was the blessing of God um, handed down. And we'll see that in just a, in a minute. To his father, he sent after this man manner. Here you go. Ten asses laden with the good or the best of Egypt. And ten she asses laden with corn and bread and meat for his father by the way for the journey. So he sent his brethren away and they departed. And he said unto them, see that you fall not out by the way. Anybody know what that means? Don't get into fights on the way back. Don't, don't leave and, and then start getting into fight when you go back and, and when, you, when you come back to Egypt. They say, why, why would he say that? Right? It should be a rejoicing moment. It should be a time when, man, they're excited. Man, we're out of the famine. Joseph, our brother, is, is, is man, he's our key into the blessing. We're not having to worry about famine anymore. Dad's going to be so happy. This is going to be amazing. Why? What an interesting charge. Why would he do that? I'll ask the question to see if we can get there. What's the tendency of man in a circumstance like this? Think about it. They, they bailed, I mean, they were bailed out by Joseph, but they had betrayed him, sold him, they had done all this wrong, and now they're basically kind of, I don't know, eating a little crow or humble pie or whatever you want to say. They're, they're like now humbled and submitted to him. I think the tendency of man could be a couple different things. Number one, guilt, but I also think the blame game. Right? Think about this. Joseph had already charged them when, they, when he revealed himself to, to them. And he said, listen, don't beat yourself up about this. Don't, don't feel guilty. He had already forgiven them. It was already done before they even came. And God used it to accomplish his plan. Joseph saw that, revealed that to his brothers. But now he's addressing the other, other tendency of man when things go wrong. When things go wrong... When something goes bad, when something goes wrong, something goes negative, there's tendencies we have. Joseph is telling them, don't, don't fight. Don't blame each other on the way back. This situation is over. It's done. This is a time for joyful reunion. Not a time for fighting. I mentioned this a little bit on Wednesday night if you were here. But we often beat ourselves up for faults and failures in our Christian lives, and specifically repeated offenses or sins against God, right? 
Because if you're a Christian and, and you have been a Christian for any amount of time, chances are there's been that one or two or a few sins that you've struggled with. And maybe those sins have been struggles that you've had in different seasons of your life, whether they be doubt or fear or lust or greed or, or unforgiveness or disobedience or whatever. There, there's, there's that area of your life that you say, man, I just really struggle with this temptation or struggle with this sin. And I've asked God over and over to forgive me. And I've asked him so much to forgive me that now I'm in a place that I'm kind of ashamed to go to God and ask him to forgive me. I'm kind of... I'm kind of embarrassed to say, God, it's me again. You already know my heart. I messed up again. And it, should I ask you for forgiveness? Because at this point, is it sincere? I've done it so many times. I've messed up so many times. I've struggled in this area so many times. And again, we can get to that place where we start thinking that our forgiveness from God is based off of us. We've talked about in our study of 1 John, the Bible says if, he, if we confess our sins, that's our part. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's his part. And so maybe you're here this morning, and that's where you are. So I'm struggling with this one sin. I'm struggling with this one area. Listen, you need to stop beating yourself up about that. I would exhort you and charge you to repent of that once and for all. Do it. But just because it remains a struggle, you say, that's what I'm doing. Today, I'm repenting. I'm turning from this sin. I'm never doing it again. And if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've had that prayer before too. <laughs> never doing it again, God. Promise you. you maybe you've been at the altar. Maybe you had Bible in hand, raising your hand with the Bible. I swear, God, I'm never doing it again. Maybe you've done that before. And then find yourself doing it again. We can get to a place where we feel guilty to even ask for that forgiveness. We can even begin looking for, in, in our mistakes, in that, that place of wrong, what can end up happening is we begin looking for mistakes and shortcomings of others to help soothe our fleshly guilt and spiritual conviction. Right? Because that's what we can do sometimes. I'm messed up. I'm struggling. I may not be the Christian I'm supposed to be, but I know them, and they're worse than me. That's what we can be guilty of sometimes, playing that blame game. We can start saying, you know, yeah, I may not be faithful to God all the time. I may, not, I may struggle with this. I may do this every now and then, and, and I may do that. But I know so-and-so, they, they call themselves Christian too, and they never go to church, and they never do this, and they always do this, and they always do that. We begin pointing our fingers at other people to try to make ourselves feel better to soothe that fleshly guilt and spiritual conviction. And the reality of this is we can get to a very ugly place in a real quick way. I want to say this to you, if that's where you're at today, if you know you're not walking in right fellowship with God, and you find yourself looking at how bad other people are, stop. Stop today. You're being robbed. You're being robbed of a precious relationship with the Lord. You're, you're, you're doing, you say, I'm not fighting with anybody. Yeah, you are. You, and that might not, might not be a face-to-face -face encounter, but you're, you're fighting and in that ugly place, you know what you're doing? You're missing the joy of grace and the joy of God's forgiveness. Because you're feeling guilty over what you're struggling with or where you're at in your relationship with God, and then you're looking at somebody else and trying to measure yourself next to them. And in that moment, you're missing the beauty of God's grace and his forgiveness. Joseph is extending not just forgiveness to his brothers, but he's giving them blessings and promises 
and, and giving them so much more than what they actually deserve. That's grace. Again, it's a type of Christ. It's exactly what happens in our relationship with the Lord and what he expects us to turn around and do for others, right? Because that's the command. Love one another as I have loved you. And that's our life point this morning is don't abide in guilt and or, and or the blame game, but embrace the joy of God's forgiveness and grace or the great, uh, God's grace and forgiveness. Questions that kind of come to my mind is do we minimize the blood of Christ? Do we not minimize the mind-blowing truth that God forgives and cleanses us when we forgive? when we don't embrace his grace and forgiveness. And, and I would say, absolutely, we do. I believe that we, we, we try to say that the blood is not very potent, that you say, I don't try to say that. No, with our actions and with our heart, with our attitudes, I think that when we say, I'm not willing to forgive, I'm not willing to embrace grace, but I, I'm just gonna keep holding a grudge, I'm gonna keep holding resentment, I'm gonna keep measuring myself to other people, I'm not gonna abide in God's grace and forgiveness and extend it to others, then I think that what we've done is say, you know what, the power of God's forgiveness, the power of his blood, the power of his cleansing of my sins is not very strong. Because I'm just going to stay right here in this state of unforgiveness. I'm going to stay right here, pointing the finger at other people's. See, there's a difference between abusing grace and rightly embracing it. I think a lot of people abuse God's grace. Not just in the way that I'm talking about, like as far as refusing to give it or refusing to abide in that forgiveness and, and, and grace and point the, the finger at other people, the blame game, reside in guilt. Not, not just that abuse, but I think even try to use it as means of justification on the flip side of it. Well, I'm not going to show up today, but you know God's grace covers us. I'm not going to do this today, uh, God's grace. I'm not going to do this, uh, God's grace. We, we just kind of use it almost like an excuse to do what we want to do, that abuse God's grace. If that's where anybody is in this room right now, I'm just telling you right now, you're abusing the grace of God that was extended to save you and to bless you. God doesn't, doesn't give his grace See, think about this. Joseph says, go home, get dad, get all of our stuff. Here's everything you need and so much more. Here's changes of garments. Here's blessings. Come back to Goshen, and there you're going to have everything you need. Matter of fact, Pharaoh said that you're going to have the very best of Egypt. And the brothers didn't say, that's right. Yeah, we are, because you know we could do this to you again. <laughs> oh, you know what? So we did all this wrong, and now we're still getting good for it. So... What if we don't stay? What if we want to do whatever we want to do when we get to Goshen? What if we don't want to submit to you? What if we, and again, they could have abused the grace and missed all of the blessings. And I think that whenever the people who claim to be Christians abuse the grace of God, miss the blessings along the way too. Paul clarified this abuse of grace and rightly embracing it in Romans chapter 5. And, and I'm, I'm going to be done. We're not going to be able to get to the second one this morning. But in Romans chapter 5, verse 20 he says this <clears throat> the law came in so that the transgression would increase Paul's explaining why the law was given but where sin increased grace abounded all the more in other words why did the law come in sin existed from the time of Adam into Moses but why did God give Moses the law and not somebody else before Moses 
Well, he says, God gave the law so that sin would be seen as sin. So it is very evident what sin is. So when you break the law of God, you know that is sin. And that's what 1 John says. Whoever transgresses, the transgression of the law is sin. When you break God's law, that is what's called sin. Not just bad stuff we do or bad thoughts we have, but actually things that are an offense to God's law. So Paul says, but where sin was made manifest, where you could see, oh, well, you broke God's law, so that sin, God's grace was even greater than all of that sin. So that as sin reigned to death, even more so, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. Praise God. So no matter what sin you've committed, no matter how bad of sin you, you, you've got into, the reality is God's grace is greater. That's what he says. So Paul gives this rhetorical question to those in, inquiring about this grace and, and that who might think, oh, well, so I could just sin and do whatever I want to do because God's grace is greater. It's going to cover all of my sin. So Paul says that question. So what shall we say then? Are we just to continue in sin so that grace may increase? I just want grace. I just want God's grace, more of God's grace on my life. That's why I'm still sinning. <laughs> no, Paul said, may it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? It's impossible. If you're actually in Christ, you're dead to, to sin, and you're alive in Christ, so you can't live in sin anymore if you're dead to it. So two charges. Embrace God's grace and don't abuse it. This morning, I, I just want to end right there. Again, we're not going to go on and look at the next point, but I, I want to challenge you and charge you this morning. Maybe you needed to hear this morning about abiding in sin struggling with a certain sin pointing fingers at other people maybe you needed to hear about the importance of being in a relationship with god and not trying to be out there by yourself but being in community in the fold in connection with the body i, I don't know what it was or maybe maybe you're struggling with some resentment maybe you're struggling with a grudge Maybe you have a relationship with a sibling or a family member or a friend or a coworker or, or something, and, and that's where you're at. You've got walls built up. You've got a grudge in your heart. You're not extending grace and, and forgiveness like God has extended to you. Maybe this morning is an opportunity if you say, God, help me with this. If Joseph could forgive his brothers, and not just forgive, not hold a grudge, not be resentful, if Joseph could do that and then go even beyond and be a blessing to them and provide for them and show them grace, then I, and, and I haven't been treated like he was treated, then God help me show that to this person or these people. Maybe that's what the Lord wants to do in your life. Again, maybe you're here and you've tried to just play the role of a Christian. Maybe you thought going to church, saying a prayer, listen, I said this recently. There, there are preachers. There are people who could tell you how to get saved without ever looking or thinking about it that I believe are going to spend eternity in hell. Because while they know it, they've never accepted it themselves. Truly accepted it. Because to know it and even believe it isn't salvation. So what? James said, the demons believe and tremble. You, you can know, you could tell somebody how to be saved. You can know everything Jesus did. You can believe that it actually happened. But there's a difference between that type of belief 
and saving faith, Jesus very clearly explained what saving faith looks like. It's an absolute surrender of your all to him. That's what faith is. Faith is, is not head belief. Faith is similar to what you're doing right there in that seat. You're putting all of your confidence in that chair. Faith, according to Jesus, is unless a man forsake all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. That's what Jesus taught about faith. And so when he says all you need to do is believe, that's what he means. All you got to do is surrender your all and, and, and trust him with your life. That's it. You can't work for it. You can't go to church enough. You can't do any, any works to do it. It's, it's a gift by grace. And how you accept it is you entrust him with your life. And so that's why your life changes. It becomes different. Now you're living by his standards and his commands because your life is surrendered to him. It's no longer lived by the world's standards or, or what the world tells you you're supposed to do or even what your flesh says to do. Now you're following Christ because you're a disciple. That's what disciple means. Now you're a Christian. That means you identify with Christ as your Lord. And so if that's not you, don't go to eternity and spend it in hell, having known what salvation is, but never owned it yourself. Don't, don't do that. Again, we are nearing the end. And the Bible says that many are going to fall away. It says that in the end times that there are going to be those that are ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of truth. That there's going to be, the love of many is going to wax cold. Again, if you're here and you're not 100% sure that Christ is your Lord and Savior, maybe you've professed Him, but it's never been, there's never been a transaction, then make sure today, before you leave, you make that right. You have an opportunity this invitation, you can come down and talk to these uh, two ministers that are going to be down here. You've got a card in your bulletin. There's a place on there you can say, you know what, I want to know more about a relationship with Christ. I want to I know more about being saved. Or maybe you make that decision in your seat this morning. You know, once and for all, I'm surrendering to Christ. I'm not playing the game. I'm not just saying it anymore. I'm actually going to give my life to him. If that's what you decide, then fill that out. Bring it to us so we know how to pray for you and how to minister to you. But don't miss this opportunity. Let's respond how God wants us to respond. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this opportunity again. Lord, you're good even when we're really, really bad. Lord, in our unrighteousness, in our evil condition, you sent your only son to die for our sins. He paid our debt. And God, we can never repay you, but we're thankful for it. And we're grateful for salvation that gives us a relationship with you. Lord, and how sweet that relationship is. We didn't get to go into full detail this morning and about that, but God, you are so good to us just in giving us the relationship that we have with you. But on top of that, you give us so much more. Again, think about us being here in America. How many blessings we have just by being Americans. And God, you're, again, you're just so good. You're rich in mercy. You're full of grace and truth. And Lord, you, you give us love that we can't understand. And so Lord, we're thankful this morning. I pray that you would just help us respond rightly to your word and the message this morning. Just move now and we'll praise you in Jesus' name.